released on Sunday, January 18th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 71. Woo! I smell something. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Lee McCauley. Hey, John. How's it going? I'm doing really great, Lee. I'm glad to see you again. You as well. I've been missing you guys. Yeah, it's been a few months, maybe. Yeah. You must have been busy. Uh, you have no idea. And besides, I, I so enjoyed listening to you guys talk that I thought, you know, I'm, I, it couldn't get better just by adding me. Uh, I'm, I'm only going to bring it down. Not true. Also with us, Jason Tice. Hi, John, and welcome back, Lee. I'm glad you've decided to come back after we scared you away a while, a few a few episodes ago, <laughs> and we were talking about it. So uh, we're glad that you've decided to come back into the uh, the hot seat. Lee, tell him that you weren't scared away last time. I, I didn't even listen to him. Yeah. Lee, Lee, <laughs> Lee exercised his, his, his belief of autonomy, and he said, you know what? It's a little open space. I mean, that's actually kind of how this works, actually. It's... Hey, we're going to talk about this today. You know what? I don't think so. See ya. So <laughs> he voted a, voted with his feet. Is that what you're saying, Jason? Well, I don't think we're moving around here since we're using this beautiful technology called Skype to connect. But but nonetheless, it's it was this idea of saying, you know what? I'm really not interested, and and here that's okay. You know, this is really about what we're interested in, and 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 really to your credit, John, it's been great to do some things to start to connect better with our listeners, so we can actually talk to them about things that they're interested in. So kind of neat. And that we shall, Jason. I'm glad you mentioned that. We did indeed send out an email to 177 people, as it turns out. We have 177 individual subscribers to our email list. And if you would like to add to that number, and we certainly encourage you to do that, you can go out to the website, thisagilelife.com. You'll see an opt-in page that'll give you a chance to give us your email address. And in exchange... Jason and nine other people will show up in your inbox and they will work for you because we send you 10 agile resources. Great. Yes. And I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Wonderful, John. That's, that's awesome. Of course, these agile resources are not people at all. I'm just kidding. No, but are they best practices, John? No, no, not best practices either. Oh, we don't have any agile best practices here at this agile life. We do not. Why don't we? Because there is no such thing. Ah, yes. They don't exist. Anyway, so, so uh, I have to tell you that you mentioned agile resources and uh, last week, uh, one of the people that I work with at the company that I am currently uh, consulting for uh, mentioned that he had, he had a resource named Lewis and, uh, and I, I had to wear the, uh, the people work here t-shirt after that. Very good. Yes. I'm glad you did that. There is no resource named Lewis unless that's what he calls his laptop. (laughs) So back to the email. 
and the email list, we sent out an email to our listeners and said, what would you guys like to have us talk about? Actually, I did it on behalf of Amos because I asked Amos earlier in the week. I said, Amos, you're going to be on the show this week. I'd like you to come up with the topics. And as you noticed, Amos is not here with us. He has a daughter that's not feeling well tonight, so he had to back out. But our listeners, they came through for us. We got a ton of responses from listeners with suggestions and recommendations of topics for tonight's show. Tonight, we're going to be addressing a series of questions and topic suggestions on stories. These were these these suggestions specifically came from Rich Thorne and another guy. I'm saying it right up front. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, though I know that he has told me before the right way to pronounce his name. Feroj Shaka. I hope. I know that's wrong, Feroj. I'm sorry. What uh, Lee suggested was you send us an audio recording of the correct way to pronounce your name, and I can dub it in next time. Every, everywhere he mentions your name, he's going to put it, your voice in there. It'll be like the lady on the telephone that says, one, five, six, <laughs> when you punch numbers in, just like that. Jason, you still paying attention? I still am, sure. Looks like you're reviewing conference submissions or something over there. No, I'm not doing that. Okay, so here we go. We're going to dive in to our topic suggestions from Rich and Feroz. The first one comes from, I think this one is from Rich, and he wants to he wants some help to figure out ways to drive teams to create smaller stories. I like this. Uh, I like this request because I'm I'm a big proponent of creating small stories. What do you guys think? Do you have any suggestions for smaller stories? Mm, are we stumped? No, no. This is where we need to have greatest hits because how many how many pieces of advice have we given on prior episodes that we could just rehash here? So, first and foremost, let's let's talk about cards. You know, I think right- this is hard. I think this one is hard. So, what Amos said was yes. We've we've spoken about this before. But he was saying that he thought the reason why Rich was bringing this one up again was because it is a difficult topic to grasp, and it's one of the harder things to do is get smaller stories. Go ahead, okay. Jason. Sorry. Well, so I was going, I was going right for cards, saying l- adopt the discipline of writing stories on physical note cards. You know, call it old school. Right. If you know, if this is where, because what I see here in the notes say driving teams to small stories. What I hear in there is an opportunity to provide feedback to encourage that practice. So I could get on the computer and I could type into my agile tool and I could type really fast. And next thing you know, I have a huge story. If I don't allow myself to do that and I have to get out a note card and get out a pen and start writing, that's almost to some I'll share that might be painful. And so that's going to say, you know what? I want to write. Just enough to get started, to start a conversation and know when I'm done. And I want to keep it short because I want to code. And that's going to help me have a, sh- have, a, have a small story. But here's an idea. What if you have your business people 
uh, tweet you their stories and they can only use one tweet. <laughs> well, well, but it's funny. We've talked about that here too. Again, greatest hits of this agile life is if you are, if you are using a tool, many tools allow you to configure the, the field lengths so that they're short. So like go in and don't allow, don't allow me to show up and go crazy on your keyboard and type in a six page story. So make it, make it short or, Again, if your tool doesn't allow it, have a working agreement. Let me ask you guys this. How do you feel about putting a constraint out there that sounds like this? The story can't take longer than half a day to a day to complete. Well, the problem is, is that the, you don't necessarily know, even the developers don't necessarily know when they hear the story for the first time. What the what the unknowns are going to be that are going to going to make that story um, what should have taken a half a day suddenly takes two days because I didn't realize that this value coming back from this service was going to be in this weird format and uh, like to like today I found out about um, a value coming back from a service that was uh, basically a random number that was mapped to um, to uh, real values, and uh, th- the only place where this was documented was actually in the code of another piece, and we had to go look up that code. That was extra stuff that you could have never known unless you had that bit of information ahead of time. Yeah, but but the key thing, and and, and Lee, you, I think probably all three of us are of the. Um, I like to do time based stories where they're we try to go for the this idea of a, a single size work unit. So ideally, the the story is about a half day to a day. Uh, I've worked with teams that like a half. I've worked with teams that like a day. The time unit really doesn't matter. What matters is the consistency. And and so the practice of saying, you know what, as a team, we set a goal. Like John said, every story is about a half day. Then go ahead, do your work, measure those stories, and then reflect on it. And look for the ones where it took, you thought it was a half day and it took three days. And again, that's not where you, some, you blame someone. That's a learning opportunity. And so by forcing yourself to say, hey, why did that story take three days? When we, when we wrote that story, what did we miss? And again, have a conversation about that. That's how a team evolves their mental model. So you can write these stories consistently. I would also say that, uh, for me at least, it's not about trying to get the stories under a certain time. Um, I think trying to hit a target like that is really tough. So what I try to do is think about, can can I break this story? Could I actually deliver something to a customer that the customer can see uh, that's not this whole story? Could I actually have another piece? Uh, and if the answer is yes, then I have the opportunity to break that into another story if it makes sense. Here's here's my thought process, Lee, and what I was going for and what I go for when I make this suggestion to teams. I get what you were saying about there are going to be things that you run into in the course of a normal story and normal development where you're like, oh, that's that's going to inflate the size of this to two or three times what we expect it. I th- but for ideas for teams for driving to small stories, if you have them target everything as it's a half of a day to a day, me- a mental model, that that's a really concise amount of time and everybody can just look at that story and they can say 
Yeah, and it's it's there's no way we can do that one in half of a day to a day. So I don't really care how long it takes to do the story. What I what I do care about is the fact that you put more thought into the story because of the constraint that we placed on ourselves that says we want to shoot four stories that are half a day to a day in size. And if you run into something and it takes two days or it takes three days, I don't care. But the story was small enough that because we targeted at a time frame of half a day to a day, when it did blow up, it only blew up to two or three days. If that story would have been larger and you know, we allowed stories that maybe could take longer than half of a day to a day, then that might have blown up to like five days, six days. So shooting for half a day to a day in size, I think is a good way to have people have a target, visualize landing a story inside of that target, and being able to quickly decide, is it, is it small enough or not? What do you think about that? I also think I think that's a good idea as a as a beginning heuristic, and I think all these suggestions that we're making are really about um, trying to to have a reason for a conversation, right? Um, whether we're talking about the Twitter or that we're targeting a half a day, the point is is when things don't meet those criteria, it isn't saying that they're wrong. It just says maybe we should talk about it and we should think about this one a little more rather than just kind of blowing over it. Yeah. And I want to put this out there too, because a lot of times, all the time, when I suggest this to people, I feel a little bit dirty. Do you know why I feel dirty? Oh, I want to hear this one, John. Oh gosh. I can only wonder what's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Because, because it it has us equating stories to days. So Mm. that, that makes me feel dirty. But in the, in the end, I think it's worth it as just a, a starting point of getting getting stories to be smaller because I don't really care. Again, I don't really care if it takes a day or a half a day or whatever, three days. The focus is just to say, is it small? Is it small enough? So, John, I'm going to give you some advice here and say that this conversation is something that I would encourage you to use to connect with your favorite people in the world that you always love to talk about. And our listeners No, the people he loves to talk about that he doesn't like working with. I like to work with everybody. Amos? I just, I just, no. dis- I just especially like to give trouble to MBAs. Yes. It's time for our favorite segment on this Satchel life where John talks about MBAs and the, it's, it's called the John bashes MBA segment. Thank you. Yes. But one thing they do teach the MBAs, John, that again, you can relate to is the, the simplest way to reduce risk in any system is to reduce the size of the work unit. And so all we're talking about here is a way to have a small work unit so we can better manage risk and really promote flow. And I, so, I want you to say that one more time for everybody. Well, well so again, the, the best way to reduce risk in any type of a system is to have smaller work units going through that system. And again, in software, unlike other types of systems, like if we're building a car, you know, you can't you can't just cut the car in half. I mean, you get lots of little modular assemblies, which is what they, they do in factories. But here with software, we can we can make our work units really small. And by doing that, it's it's, it's all about learning and experiments. So, hey, I pulled the story. It was small. And guess what? I messed it up. OK, not a big deal. 
you know, redo it. Not a big deal. That's awesome. Or, hey, I pulled a story. We tried to make it small. It took longer than expected. But since it was small, that's okay. Um, Because there's less variability with those small work units. So if I've got a chunk that's an hour, like John said, if it takes, if I think it's going to take a half day and it takes a whole day, no big deal. But what happens if I did something and said, what if I said it's a week and then it takes two weeks? Well, again, the the larger work unit gives us more variability in the system. And so again, John, your connection with your MBA friend should be, all I want to do is we all want to have small work units going through our system and it, we'll all be happy and we'll all get along. I don't know about that, but it sounds nice. Well, and then they'll come and then they'll come and they'll probably do something else that you won't like. And, and yeah. Oh, okay. So, okay. Let's move on to, to the next uh, topic suggestion for the show today. Next one is how business stories and development stories relate with each other. Woo. This is, I smell something. Ooh. Hey, yeah, Lee, Lee, what do I smell? Woo, I'm smelling something. Um, are you smell? Let me guess. Let me guess. You're smelling MBAs. Uh, <laughs> no. You know, um, I'm going to say yes, because so I've seen this pattern where, and, and maybe it's not the MBAs, but this is where there's like, you know, Agile tells us that the business people should work with the delivery team every day, right? And we've talked about that on this Agile Life. And we all know that sometimes that doesn't happen. And we've got the product owner and the business analysts are off like playing golf and writing user stories on the golf course. And then when they finish, they they go to the drive through and they drop them off to the delivery team. And the delivery team says, well, what on earth are these? And, ugh, and they rewrite them all. And sometimes they get them right, sometimes they get them wrong. So this to me is a smell of really not embracing the whole team approach, because ideally the story should be written in universal language that everyone involved can understand. And, and at that point, it's a, it, it's a unifying factor for the team. It's the glue that allows the team to self-manage. So here's, here's what I think this question is getting at, and I, don't th- and I don't think we were really addressing it. So I think what this question is getting at is um, you have basically features that when, bu- when you talk to business, that's the, that's the level that uh, business generally wants to to think about. Yes, you can train them to to talk at a smaller level, and hopefully you can do that, and you have constant interaction. But I think in a lot of cases you end up with features that the business prescribes, and then the developers have to break that down into further stories. Uh, at least I find that that's what happens in in reality, um, as opposed to what the ideal would be. It would be nice to have. I think that's what they're getting. At. See, that's where I, I was sure I was I was doing a workshop the other week and I, you know, people were asking for real life stories and real life practices. And so I was sharing things and um, I, I mentioned and I said, I, I test stories with teams and teams customers, meaning that like we'll go to the we'll go to the board. And these are stories, not features or epics. Uh, and we will pull a story because we're trying to write stories in the uh, the phrase I use is the language of the business. So, and I know Amos, who's not here tonight, but again, he, this was kind of one of his ideas for the, I know he has said this is that, you know, everyone on the team should be able to speak the same language. And, and if that means you need to learn a little, little bit about the business domain that you're supporting, that's good. Even if you're a developer. Um, and so like to take a story off the development board that the team's broken out and then show it to the customer and say, Hey, do you understand what this means and what value you're going to get when this story's done? And the customer has to say yes or no. 
And if yeah, so that, that doesn't mean that the customer could could write those stories and think at that level of yeah, detail. yeah, yeah. But the key thing is again, it's glue, it's understanding. And so if the customer mm-hmm. says no, that's a great conversation. And again, that's a learning opportunity for the people on the team to understand how to keep their customer engaged. A reason why a lot of agile projects fail is you you lose engagement with your customer. And the reason why is because you're not communicating with them. It's like I could start talking in a foreign language here that no one understands. And guess what? Everyone's going to turn this off. It's like blah, 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 blah. Or as John would say, MBA speak. And if again, you should I my my advice for everyone, test your stories with your customer. Yes. Do I understand it? No, I don't. If they say no, figure out how to get them to understand. So they engage. I want to say this. No such thing as a developer story. I love it. It's 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 the thin vertical slice. It should it should speak through all the layers of your architecture, the language of the business. Or I have a colleague I heard that calls it the wedding cake. So again, it's that 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 slice. And we're doing video here, so I can I'll do I'm putting it on a show here. I'm going up and down and up and down. Yes, I forgot no. we were recording the video. I hope oh, I haven't done. Yes, anything. we're recording the video. It's awesome, so. silly. Well, maybe this isn't. Maybe this is. Let, let's assume that Lee has the right interpretation here, where the business. Where what Feroz is talking about is that the business story is maybe at a feature level and the development story is the smaller grain stories that describe how to go about slicing up the feature to deliver it. I think it's real simple then to say how do those things relate to each other. They relate very in a very straightforward fashion. There's one business story to a number of development stories, right? My concern is that he, my concern is what is that what he's talking about is the developers have a set of stories to deal with tech debt or to do things that the business doesn't care about hasn't asked for and doesn't want as opposed to just these being a further delineation of the work that needs to be done. Yeah, and maybe that's where he's going here because you know we're saying development, but I, I know in uh, lots of teams that I know we you know we use different types of stories like spikes. Um, some, some teams I know have tech debt stories. And then you say, you know, every, every sprint, if you're doing scrum or every week, if you're doing something else, the team has a certain amount of their capacity. They can invest in those stories and the business doesn't. So, so it could be that. So um, I, the key thing I think that I want to emphasize here, and it's something I know that, that I always mention when, when I do workshops is teams need to have some level of autonomy to do what is what they need to to maintain clean code. And so if that means the team, you know, says, hey, we're in here and, you know, our architecture is really is really getting bloated and we really just need we really need to, you know, we need to write a day story so we can refactor and clean this stuff up. Um, the team needs to have the ability to do that. And, and, and so if you're on a team, that's something, number one, you should be provided and that's a calling to really have a conversation with your leadership or your sponsorship to say, Hey, if all we're doing is user stories and we're not cleaning up and maintaining the code, we will eventually have a problem and it will impact our velocity. So. Right. And we've talked before about, um, the, when it, when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. And we've argued about it before as well about creating stories or taking on tech debt stories you know, causing tech debt. Yes. Electing, electing to go get a credit card. 
kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But let me ask you this, because again, I, I encourage teams because something that you know, one of my theme, I've been, I was thinking about, I was working with my coach and I was thinking about themes for the year and um, got some good ones like asking questions. But another one that's kind of that I'm thinking a lot about is economic decisions. And so I actually like this idea of, you know, having t- allowing teams to basically have a, a guaranteed amount of autonomy to say that, you know, like as we're describing here, you're doing stories that are about the same size, okay? Half day or less, like John was saying. So if you're on a team every week, you could have five of those or whatever they are, and they could be whatever you want them to be. And what I like is that to me is giving this, this opportunity for the team to learn how to better prioritize and make economic decisions about their work. So we got a backlog of tech debt. We can pick any five we want. We got to learn how to pick the five that provide the most value. I think that's a valuable experience for teams to learn how to make those decisions to build the best product. What do you guys think about that? Is that having a limit like that? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? I can I can see it as being as both. Um, I think it's a good idea in general, more good than bad. Um, however, I also think that um, you should have uh, some degree of autonomy. Uh, to allow the team to essentially inflate every one of their stories just a little bit to allow for uh, for doing those those tech debt, doing that refactor as they go. Now, sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes the refactor that's necessary is just huge, and so yeah, you you gotta you gotta do it at some point. Well, let's see. I have a conversation, but I guess to me, I guess I've, I've seen and I know one of our most popular episodes ever was the the episode about developer defense, which is a long time ago. And and so I guess I'm looking for a, a safety mechanism since, as John would say, there's a lot of evil MBAs out there that like take a team and they treat it like a horse and they just they, they just like make it go as fast as it can and they never let it have a break. And eventually the horse is going to pass out and bad things will happen to the horse. So I, I'm looking for a way to say like, it's like a rule to say, guess what? You could ride the horse as much as you want to, but every hour you're going to slow it down and you're going to let it go for a trot or a walk, you know? Cause if you, if you try to make the horse gallop forever, it is eventually going to pass out and, and have bad things happen. So that goes back to a discussion that we had about the sprint, why it's called a sprint and all of that stuff. Right. Yes. The beautiful what? metaphor that, um, Jeff and Ken, well, I'm sure will defend that. There was a recent uh, Twitter post from one of our listeners linking to um, a recent explanation from Jeff about Jeff Sutherland about the name Sprint and what he was what he meant by it was that it's a focused time and not necessarily um, physical sprinting. Yeah, and and I think that's again where knowing people in the running community sprinting people think sprinting i mean not that there isn't strength and stamina involved but it is a mental thing i mean you (laughs) you have to focus to make your body do that so uh i think there's value in that one of the things i want to go back to in this particular topic jason you mentioned um and and lee did as well maybe about having some amount of pad for or refactoring for dealing with tech debt i think and this is what i coach a lot is that you should just be working this in all of the time to your to your work. If you're all so what I'm trying to say is if you're always dealing with tech debt, if you're always taking some time to refactor over the course of the sprints that you do 
or the iterations that you do or whatever you call them, everything will become second nature in terms of your the, the amount of time it takes you to complete a story will already have this built in for dealing with tech debt and for doing your refactoring so that it's, it's not something that you ever have to call out and say, oh, I'm going to spend an hour today refactoring this thing, right? You deal with it all, the, all of the time, so it just becomes a normal part of your day. A normal course of developing a story is to clean up some tech debt, do some refactoring, and it's just part of your day. Yeah, yeah, Judd, I think that's great, but I also think that's that also reflects a high level of maturity. Since, <laughs> go ahead, Lee. I would I would even say that uh, that more than just a high level of maturity that can reduce um, how much of the big the big refactors you end up having to do, but it doesn't eliminate them. It's kind of like everything has a little bit of error in it, right? As you code, I don't care how good you are. And how much you're refactoring along the way, you're going to miss stuff. So the what John's talking about gets you get your error level down really low, but it builds up. And so at some point, you may look at it and go, "Holy moly, how do we get this this much cruft in our code?" And then you just have to deal with it at that point. It just that point uh, becomes uh, pretty far out. If you're doing what John suggested. Yeah, well, and actually, I would take it as kind of, again, when I said maturity, one thing I was thinking about is um, in, in life coaching, one of the things that's popular is called the budget game, where it's like, you know, if you're working with, with someone trying to help them maintain a budget, because maybe they don't know how to. And, you know, you set a budget and then your objective is to try to beat your budget. And if you typically if you beat your budget, then you, you get some more money to do really whatever you want with or most coaches encourage people to invest it. But so this idea of, again, to safeguard against, you know, where the business might be abusive of the team and not give the team autonomy to refactor. The goal is, you know, the team gets up to five stories to do whatever they want. OK, and that's built into your forecast. And you know what? If you're doing what John is saying, because you have, you know, you have these practices built into your workflow and everyone understands them, then guess what? Hey, we only needed to use three of those. And as a result, we were able to do more. That's a cool metric to discuss as I hold my three fingers up and John holds three back at me. So, again, you can measure this and you can almost gamify it to say that, hey, we can have up to five, but the goal is to have less. And, you know, if you're in a multi-team environment, maybe everyone has that same kind of flexibility. Then it's like, hey, who, who's building this into their, their, their um, who's building these practices into their daily process so that you don't have to kind of go to the safety bank? You know, it's, uh, there's a. There's a little gamification and fun there, I think. The safety bank, huh? Well, I don't want to say, I mean, I don't know if I want to call those get out of jail cards because they're there for safety. But again, if, if I said, if we had a, a like a cross team retro or scrub of scrums, whatever you want to call it. And, and it's like, hey, um, so how are we doing tech dad? And hey, John, I see uh, in the last, let's say we're doing scrum. We'll pretend we are. John, I see in the last three sprints. Your team didn't do any of these these technical refactoring stories of how come? What are you doing? And then we have a conversation and you share exactly what you t- said before where, hey, we've built that into our process. And I'm like, well, hey, John, um, you know, my team, we're having a hard time keeping up over here. Could you come over and help us out and teach us some of this secret voodoo refactor stuff that you've built into your process? Because we'd really like to learn how to do that because that's a feedback loop. And that's how you enable organizational improvement across multiple teams. 
I want to take exception with one thing that you said, Jason. And oh, it's on. Here we go. Boom. Okay. I was trying to be not very confrontational about it. But you put up your fist, so now you're in trouble. Mm. Mr. NBA, I'm just kidding. You, one of the things you said was that the refactoring as part of your normal process was was kind of an advanced or a, a, a mature organ, a, a sign of a mature organization. And I want to go back to red green refactor. I mean, that's like day one agile developer basics, right? And maybe I'm too far away from being a day in and day out developer. My one of the goals that one of the one of the things that we used to always talk about was anytime you're in a piece of code, you should always leave it a little bit nicer than when you got there. What Jason? He's got his hand up. <laughs> yeah, if you guys have never checked out our video, you need to watch it because we do funny stuff. No, but John, I want to say that I think, and I think this is something as I've listened to episodes of this Agile Life, I think it's something I've heard. Sometimes we, since we've been doing this for a while, all of us here tonight and actually all of our hosts, we forget what it's like when you're just starting out. So pretend you are a, you know, you're out of college, you just got a job, you maybe got some training about TDD and patterns, and now you're in a, you're in a code base that's uh, two decades old and who knows how it's been maintained and that is hard and so the ability to even recognize the patterns that you could you know extract and refactor to is difficult and so what i'm saying john is if you have a, a system where this is transparent so your team is obviously not having to do refactor story or you know technical stories for refactoring as much as my team what that means is you must understand something more so than my team does. And I want to ask you for help. And so by having this mechanism, we can have that conversation and you can help us improve. And maybe it makes sense that your your team knows how to recognize these patterns in a, in a legacy old code base. Maybe some of the people on your team need to come over on my team, move some people around. And those people can be technical mentors who are going to help the more, the newer people on my team learn how to find these things and refactor their code. I think we've, I think we've gone off on a, on a rabbit into think, a rabbit hole on this you one. Think, I don't think, no, but I think that's important to say that again, I think we might be taking that for granted. And again, this idea of having a metric where you can see, because again, John, I think you're describing a mature environment. And if you're in an organization, you need to know where that is because that's an ability to share that information around the people of your organization to help them improve. I agree. You're right. I mean, I- you, you as make usual. an excellent point. Boom. As usual. That's, no. That's the show kidding. title. Jason, as usual. He's oh. always right, as usual. I'm just doing my boom thing tonight. I brought, I'm bringing that back. So What are you, what are you Emerald all of a sudden? Uh, we, we used to, back when, once upon a time when uh, actually everyone involved in this Agile life, except for Craig, were, was working in a, a large, a large enterprise, leave it at that, uh, I was doing ops support and what we would do uh, releases every time we would like release a, and we were doing re- collections of releases. Every time we would get one done, we'd go boom at like two in the morning. So we were, we yes, we were releasing at two in the morning for various reasons. Um, I expect everyone to send us nasty grams and uh, uh, solicit us with DevOps consulting because yes, we all know there is a better way, but, and we've all learned it. That was years ago. We've all learned. All right, we've let's all move learned. on to our next question. This one is also from Feroz. He says, what is the best way to organize stories? 
Let's let Lee answer that question first. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little curious as to what organize means in this case, because when I think of organizing a story or organizing stories, I think of how we're going to work them, which means um, mainly priority. Uh, but also, it's not as simple as that. Nothing ever is, right? So it then has to do with uh, what stories can you can you work together? Uh, how many people are on your team? How many pairs do you have? Um, uh, what's your what's your branching strategy look like? All those things can go into how you organize the the stories that feed into uh, into your flow. So I, I'm not sure exactly what the what the organize here is, what the context is for that. Let's, let's go with that context as you've described it, because I think that's the most interesting aspect of this. I mean, we could just say Jira or rally or version no! one or lean kit or something. <laughs> the tools are on the right side, John. We like the things on the left side. I know. I know. That's why I'm saying we're, let's not talk about the tools. Let's talk about the things oh. on the left side. So you say, shut up. <laughs> Whoa. Are you going to send me to detention? Do no, I need I will to go not. in my corner? MBAs don't go to detention. But yeah, back to, think, back to think, how to go ahead. They go to law school and become lawyers. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> Sorry, all the lawyers out there. Oh, now we're going to get sued even <laughs> no, better. No, notice he apologized to the lawyers, I not did. to the MBAs. Only because my sister's a lawyer. Oh, okay. Back on. Now we're in a rabbit hole. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. We're having a little bit of fun tonight. So how to prioritize the work most effectively. That's, that's a tough one. And I think it can be compounded by some of the things that, that Lee mentioned. Um, you can't just straight up consider priority. You also have to maybe consider skill sets and other, other, uh, other affecting things that are that are swirling around you what are what are some some of those things uh, some other things are like the dependencies uh i can't i can't complete uh story number five until i've done story number three um or at least it doesn't make sense to uh to try to have somebody working on this other story until this previous one is completed so how do you how do you represent that and how do we organize that in a backlog so that so that we don't run into that issue, Jason. Well, so I want to tell it. So in our show notes here that John's typing into as we're, as we're talking. So he wrote the question, how to prioritize work most effectively. And the first thing that pops in my mind when I see that is to prioritize. We need to think about business value and we should try to find the things that provide the most value and do them first. So here's my question. About a week ago, I was helping. Wait someone. a second. We, well, we already mentioned that. Now we're on to, uh, we know that we know we need to do that, right? But yeah, but well, no, no, there's no, no. some dependencies okay, that out. we need to deal with. Okay. Yeah. But tell me, so, cause I was working, I was talking to people and they kind of said, we don't need to do that. Like, cause I was saying, why don't you put like business value scores, like, you know, low, medium, high on your story cards. And they're like, that's dumb. We don't need to do that. And, and I was like, I think it matters. And, I had a few people that didn't agree. What do you guys think? I mean, is it, is it just fluffy stuff or do you think it matters? I, I would love to have business value measurements on stories. That would be the best thing ever. Um, I think 
prioritization. So why becomes why because prioritization becomes a formula at that point, not a guess. Um, And yeah, that's it. I mean, if the if the business can actually put a number or or some value like that, then. I can definitely come up with the the priorities that they should go in, and I don't have to just try to second guess the the, the customer. And Lee, I I agree fully. So that's where I'm kind of. First of all, this is for those people that maybe they're listening to this agile life. They can um, and maybe some of them know how to uh, get in touch with Lee and I. We can um, we can have a debate in the parking lot. Well, here's one of the things that makes this difficult is that there's no easy way to come up with the business value. You know the game, Get Kanban? You wait a second, because I've got something to say on the Jason. The Get, Get Kanban has these little scores on them, right, that says, if you implement this story, you get so many new subscribers to the website, and that's how you, that's how you track success. So in that case, that's your business value. How many times have you ever worked on anything where it's been that straightforward that you could assess the business value like that. About zero times is also my answer, Lee. It's always someone who, who's, who's usually the product owner that is kind of taking a swag at it and saying, yeah, this is the business value or that's the business value. Maybe there are some stories that it's very clear that there's a specific business value to it, and that's wonderful. And those are easy ones to prioritize, but I think you quickly run out of those and start going back to these arguments about, is it really valuable? Why is it valuable? Who gets to decide if it's valuable? And and there's just no clear, straightforward way to figure that out. But Jason seems to have some sort of MBA magic wand that is going to solve this all. So behold, John, I think this is the episode of This Agile Life where we are going to help you have an MBA love affair. Oh. <laughs> Because another show title, John, you are describing an environment where there is an important role on a team that is not that is being neglected. And I feel sorry for you because if you're in an environment and you are a business analyst that's working with a team, uh, be it the role or a person who is a business analyst and things that they teach you in business school, this is your job is to take those stories Go do the things that you learned in business school. And I remember learning them when I was there. Do a business case, make assumptions, and figure out some type of way to forecast business value. Even if it's a guesstimate, say, hey, if these are the market factors, this is the product, this is this is our cost for that product, you know, based upon whatever. And you could you could do that in a theoretical sense. I mean, that's it's just business casework. And then put that on the stories, either at the feature. Feature level is pretty easy to do that. When it breaks down to the really small stories, it can be hard. But even if it's at the feature level, that then lets you have feature teams. So, John, I would say you need to find those BAs in your environment and align their work so that they're doing activities like that to better support the delivery team. Okay, I hear what you're saying. One of, a couple of things that you said is some theoretical work. You said that it, it's often guesswork, and, and that's, that takes me right back to my point with there's no, there's no easy way to come up with business value. And is it worthwhile to take a person on, on the team and dedicate them to coming up with these, as you mentioned, business cases 
that's going to determine the business value or is it enough to to say to give one person the scepter and say you're the business value um ruler you just get to tell it you you get to assign a business value to these stories and we'll go with that because spending time doing a business case and spending time doing market analysis and and research and 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 executing the scientific method just is not going to net us enough enough value to spend the well, time doing it but john i think it depends on the it depends on the domain uh some domains it's easier some projects I, I guess what i want people to take away from this interesting conversation when john has his love affair with mbas is it's possible and and maybe it's relevant in your domain maybe you're in a complex field or a highly regulated field where it makes a lot of sense maybe you're not so uh but understand maybe if you're a business analyst and you're listening to this, you're like wondering, hey, what's my role on an agile team or in an agile environment? This is something where you could really help um, help the team because a lot of the reasons teams struggle is they're trying to prioritize considering two different factors. One is this business value and then the other is technical complexity, which is really what the engineers understand and the developers. The key here is we need to separate those out. And, and as Lee said, then it's a formula. So a lot of times people are trying to like jam them together and they haven't learned enough about the business. So that's a call to action to say that, you know, figure that out. Maybe that's something new, a new practice your team could try in the in, in 2015 to say, hey, let's figure out how to get business value on our story and talk, stories and talk about it and tweet us about it. Say, Jason, it worked. Say, hey. John, I'm an MBA. I want to come work with you and teach you how to do all this cool business case stuff that Jason's talking about because, yes, it actually really does exist. It's amazing how no MBA has ever tweeted me and, and said uh, that. And I don't count, I guess. so. Nobody has ever said that. Hey, John, I'm an MBA. I want to come work with you. I'll do that right now. Let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to the next one, which is how much time should developers spend on analysis? I think it kind of dovetails in with our our previous conversation about doing some business analysis. What do we think analysis means? I'm just curious. I think in the context of this question, what they're talking about for analysis is the understanding required to implement a story. I mean, that just seems weird. Cause I, I mean, like, are you saying, is does the developer technical? Does that mean technical or does that mean business? Yeah, that's what or- I'm wondering, Lee. Technical analysis or business analysis is. Woo, I think I smell something again. Th- those two things. I mean, I, I think that. It, what it do could I be, smell, John? Woo, it could be something. either of these whole team approach issues again here. Well, I, th- I think we got what I like to call half baked stories. It's it's like the story wasn't be- before the team starts to execute on it. The story wasn't well defined enough for uh, one of many factors to where. You know, a story should be pretty well baked. So when you pull it and you start working it again, it's short. There's enough information to have a conversation and there's enough information to know when you're done so you can confirm it. And it sounds like if we're doing analysis as we're working on it, that hasn't been done prior to working on it. So that to me is the smell that it's, you know, there's a there's a a, a story elicitation problem. So I think we have a we have a problem here only in that sometimes people could could uh say that we are being hypocritical because on one side we say that you have to put off 
uh, design until the, the last responsible moment. And yet at the same time, we're saying, yeah, but your stories have to be well, well formulated and, and well planned out, essentially, uh, well thought out. And, uh, and yet then we also say, oh, but then you have to have this conversation about it. So where exactly is that? Where, where, where's the lines here between these? How do we, how do we adjudicate all these different definitions? That's a big word. But, um, I think the answer is we err toward the side of small story, small amount of effort put into creating the story. And I think developers should spend a good portion of time narrowing in on that analysis work, doing that design work. I don't I think that's the I think that's the whole team approach, right? We're not asking a business analyst to produce a use case document that they then push off of their desk onto the developer's desk who then starts coding to a spec. So well, uh, there's a good so, amount of so, analysis. Yeah, but, but let's can we can we clarify analysis cuz I'm, I I I and I again things that I've seen in real life, you know, where you pull the user's story and before we write, we start coding, we're like, you were doing UML and uh, I mean, and then we review the UML and then we, okay, now let's actually, let's actually write tests and then write code. I mean, what is this analysis? That's, that's what I guess what I'm asking for you guys to think about. I'm calling analysis any activity that has to occur to make it clear to the developers what they need to implement for the story. They may pull that story and it have acceptance criteria on it and it okay. be well-formed and well-written and they're still not sure exactly how to go about implementing it. So they may have to do some analysis. They may have to talk to a user, a product owner, a business analyst, you know, someone, uh, uh, someone a UX who's a, designer, a UX, a, a, right, a subject matter expert, et cetera, to learn more. That is the conversation. The card is the placeholder for the conversation. That's the conversation that they're frigging talking about in okay. placeholder for conversation. Okay, but that to me is, again, a whole team approach. We're all working together, regardless of if we're co-located or not. I pulled the story. I start working it with Lee. And, oh, my gosh, we, this makes no sense. We go talk to the product owner, you know, and we... We do that analysis integrated with our work. So, hey, Lee, let's try and go write the first failing test for this story. Okay. Oh, my God. Dude, this acceptance criteria makes no sense. Dude, let's call the product owner. I don't. The the concern I have about the way this question was phrased is it sounds indicative of that. Like there's a separate work state of pre-work before we actually start writing, you know, working, focusing on the product and and the software and the product. And it sounds to me like you're advocating for that state of pre-work. No, I'm not. I'm saying that, again, real life, Lee and I say, hey, Lee, let's work together. We go to the board. We boom. We pull that card off there. We say we start reading. We're like, oh, my God, this doesn't make sense. We keep the card where it is. And again, we start asking questions. We call the product owner. We get the UX designer if we need to. We get help. Maybe we have a team rule that says that, you know, if we've been working on this story, Lee, and we haven't made any progress in two or three hours, then we call it a turnaround or maybe we call it sooner and we get help. And the key thing is there that's all in the dev lane. So we're doing that as part of our work. And the reason why is that's to keep us focused on writing software. We don't want to, again, here, John, you should, you should like me even as an MBA saying this, we don't want to allow that dedicated analysis step where we're doing activities that get us away from actually writing code. We want to do as much as we can and keep us focused on coding. 
And I will also add... I think you just contradicted yourself. Oh, where? Lee, Lee help me out. Oh, I, I actually agree with you, John. Because, oh, because oh. I, uh, uh, I have to say that as I was listening to, uh, to your talk there, I, I said it's still coming from a, from a listener out there in podcast land. Uh, I'm hearing both sides from one person. Oh, well, <laughs> he seems wounded. Right. They, they can, they can let us know. That may, you, you said that may or may not be intentional. One of the things, what you said, Jason, was that it's okay that, to do all that work in the dev lane. But then at the very end, you said you need to make sure that you do enough stuff up front to maximize the amount of time the developer spends with hands-on keyboard as opposed so, to okay. doing That's, that analysis okay. work in the dev good, lane. Good catch. Good catch. Because okay. what I'm saying is a practice I've observed. Let's clarify this. Is that, I mean, we've all seen the Kanban board that has like ready and then it has like analysis and then it has like code. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is I want to keep the emphasis on coding. Right. So instead of having that lane where things go in there and there's a perception that I'm not really doing the real code yet, I'm kind of just, you know, poking around or looking around. I don't, I I don't want to, I'm encouraging to not have that. The 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 value that that adds that that um that that cue adds is may not be there because again you're you're not coding you're you're maybe making UML or whatever as an example and so instead of doing that just have a a code column and integrate all of these other discussions and conversations as part of that coding. So let me let me add something to that, Jason, because you mentioned something that this is a a little bit of a non sequitur, but I really want to add this right now. Go for it. Uh, the, a lot of teams will use the columns on a Kanban board as reminders of things they don't want to forget. And the problem is, is there is some overhead with every, um, uh, every lane you put in a Kanban board. There's some process overhead. Yeah, Sometimes it's, it's really small. Change. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but you are paying some cost for that. So if it's something that, you really may want to think about whether it's just a reminder of something that everybody should be doing in the dev lane as you're talking about. Yeah. Well, to me, that's again, now we talk Kanban. It's like, Hey, we got a queue. we got the policies or whatever you want to call it. Policies, acceptance criteria, definition of done, you know, for that queue on the board, you know, either in your tool or on a note card above the lane where it says that the thing. And again, the, the, why I want to encourage people, maybe, if you're looking to improve your process, try to experiment. Take the analysis lane off and say that, hey, we're going to challenge ourselves to do our analysis activities during development. Because, again, the pattern is or the smell is, you know, they're, oh, here's the person that, you know, they're not in the code base. They, they just they just do the analysis. You know, it, 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 it's almost it, it puts a risk to achieving the whole team approach. Yeah, but we have to have something for those uh, English majors. Jeez. Oh, Whole team approach. They could help. They could help write Gherkin. That was a joke. They could help write Gherkin and um and and do great stuff like that. And maybe they could help coach your team. Maybe as an English major, they can help the team understand how to have clear conversations to communicate with the customers. So again, Lee, everyone can help out. Even I'm if trying you, to I'm trying to figure out how many even if you're an English major, you can help out. I, I'm trying to figure out how many different majors we can insult in one show. Oh English we we've gotten we've English gotten three so far. English majors can grow up and be great agile coaches. We we should uh, 
try to beat the like Guinness Book of World Records on that someday. I, here's something I want to point out. You guys talked about whole team hey, approach. Okay, so hey, uh, can we can, can we call the question real quick before we go on? So, am I still a hypocrite or not? No, you you, fix, oh, you fixed it. Oh, I've, oh, good. You yeah. fixed it. And in the past, so I want to talk about whole team approach real quick, and then we'll get on to our picks because we're running out of time. But whole team approach, Jason, you've talked about T-shaped people before, and in an environment where you want to maximize the amount of work that's completed and minimize the amount of work that's in progress, the more T-shaped people you have that can do development as their primary skill and can also do analysis, can also do testing, having T-shaped people like that will help you maximize the amount of completed work. And it minimizes the need to have people in these in these hard and fast roles like business analyst or quality engineer, right? You have people, you have people that are doing all of these things all of the time and your team is able to really gel, come together and do all the work necessary to accomplish the goals and to live up to what the business and the product owner are paying, paying you to do. Yeah. And the thing I would add to that, John, so it's again, you know, we're doing a podcast here. And so everyone, all of our listeners right now, I hopefully are listening to us and all of the craziness that we're saying, but here's something real serious. And this is where, again, if you're listening to a podcast, you must like to listen. And so here's an interesting one for you to listen for. If you're doing the whole team approach, you've got T-shaped people, no one should really ever say, hey, that's not my job. So listen for that. And, and, and again, listen for when someone maybe says, you know, hey, I don't do that or, hey, I don't work in that lane or, hey, I don't want to do that today. And, and, and just see, because that's, you know, if anything, I like to challenge teams to, you know, maybe put a piece of paper over in the corner of their team area and say, you know, how anytime you hear someone say, hey, that I don't care about that or that's not my job, go over there and just put a line on it. You know, it doesn't matter who said it, just go and put a line, you know, and so it's like we want to create this zone where no one is allowed to say no to doing something because everyone has autonomy and is empowered to step up and support the goal. And so we should be learning. And even if that means I'm going to do some coding, which Lee would Lee observe some of that. Well, that was like last year, but nonetheless, Lee observed some of that. And that was not good. But hey, I tried. Woo! Bad. I'm an MBA. I want to go code with John. All right. We're on. You're on. Oh, yeah. Boom. Meet me tomorrow at Starbucks. Oh, yeah. This week's hottest picks. Lee, you're up first with your picks for this episode. Okay, my pick is uh, something that Google started called Made with Code. Uh, This is a community that encourages girls to learn computer programming, and it provides some really cool resources to build those skills, especially for really early uh, learners. So people my my girl's age which are uh 10 and my guess is they uh they could have started this a lot earlier there's a couple of those resources there that you can do that girls could do or guys for that matter could do at age uh, four or five um but they're really they're really focused on the types of things that girls would enjoy as opposed to the types of things that guys would enjoy like killing things (laughs) very nice Oh, I don't even know. I don't even know where to get started on that one, but okay. <laughs> Smashing, killing, the you know, shooting, 
you you have a problem you have a problem with girls in in uh in computer science jason no i my don't. goodness I, no. I, I think i think you're just being so sexist jason no oh geez put words of it no i was gonna say um, you guys need to come to the kickboxing class i do where i yeah it's all about journalistic integrity. Please. I'm going to get my butt kicked someday, I think. So now we're just trolling. Okay, here here thanks Lee, good pick. Here are my picks for the show. I had one and then I came up with another one while we were talking. My first pick is a new game. It's not really new. Um it's new on iOS. It's been on Android for a little while. Friend of mine, Matt Burton, he developed this game. It's called Ninjavade. And it's a ton of fun. Uh, my high score is 155, putting that out there for everybody. I want you to try and beat that score and then let me know if you do. You can uh, compare your score against my score on the Google, um, the Google uh, I don't know, leaderboard thing. So go ahead, download Ninjavade. It's free. No, uh, no commercials, no advertising, no in-game purchases or anything. Download it, have some fun with it, and let me know how you like it. John should coach all his business analysts how to gamify assigning business value to stories. Great. Okay. <laughs> My next pick is, since we were talking a little bit about working with Legacy Code, uh, the great book, Working with Legacy Code, from Michael Feathers. Check that book out. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Jason, once again, your ungoverned number of picks sir yes it's like as long as the whole podcast so so when we were going to talk about stories today i threw a crazy i know john likes new ideas and so i did a test because a new a new emerging practice with stories is a pattern called job stories it's kind of out of the ux practice area and so we'll put a a link to a a few a blog post about it check it out read it Uh, i think we're going to talk about it on a future episode so it's just kind of a read ahead but again, it's it's a different way to write a story other than a user story. It's called a job story. So check that out. And um, again, let us know what you think. So um, and also like this week, again, people were thinking um, since in the middle of the week, unexpected Amos starts tweet Amos and Joe Barnes start ch- tweeting about me reading between lines. And uh, that got me thinking uh, another, another cool concept that there's called communication chunking. And that's where. You kind of control how much information you're conveying when you speak. And so sometimes that enables people to read between the lines. Sometimes it can prevent it. So um, put a blog post to uh, Laura Powers. She's a colleague from Agile Learning Labs um, in the Agile Games community. So she's talks about that and check that out. And, and of course, with that, um, I'm going to keep promoting Agile Games up in Boston in uh, May of 2015. This Agile Life will be there for fun. I'll be there. John will be there. Amos will be there. Who knows who else is going to be there? You should be there. So come join us. And um, that should be fun. So that's those are those are my hottest picks. Was that all of them? That was fast. I'm getting good, John. I'm learning how to go fast. I want to improve my pick velocity. Well done. All right. As Jason said, you can visit our website, thisagilelife.com, to check out our past picks and show notes from our past episodes and go out there and tweet us. You can send us a tweet to our This Agile Life Twitter account by the same name, handle This Agile Life. And then get out there on the website and sign up for that email, those email resources, ten our, our top 10 Agile resources. And that'll get you on a 
on our email list and I've been trying to send out something once a week to everybody just kind of keeping you informed of what's going on and then asking for your thoughts and opinions about the show so that we can deliver the best content to you every week. That is our goal. Thanks for listening and keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.